they were talking about marriage and you know, I recognize off the, off the bat, not everyone in the room is married, but I trust even for you uh, that you'll be able to take something out of today, perhaps uh, something to consider uh, for applying to other relationships. Maybe it's uh, a piece of advice that you can pass on to someone else, or maybe it's just a little bit of insight for one day, uh, if you get married, to be able to, to carry some of this with you. Now, as we talk about marriage today, I am not going to give a warm, squishy, fuzzy message. This isn't a Hallmark movie. Uh, today, instead, uh, we're going to talk about some of the common problems in marriage and one thing in Scripture uh, that is a principle that, when applied to our marriage, can help us to, to have a healthier marriage. It can improve our relational dynamics both when we're in a tough spot, and even when things are good. Now, as a pastor, I get uh, the privilege of walking alongside a lot of couples uh, before their marriage and doing sort of premarital counseling, doing weddings, and those are always fun because it's like the top of the world moments in terms of a relationship. But I also have the privilege of walking alongside a lot of couples uh, as they delve through some of the lowest valleys in their life. And while counseling isn't necessarily always my favorite thing, doing the relational stuff, doing the relationship stuff, that really brings me a lot of joy, and I really uh, love to do it. But as I've been kind of walking alongside quite a number of couples, both in our church and outside of our church as well, I've noticed that there seems to be this season right now and I don't know if it's through ever, because of everything that's else that's going on in the world and we've been through, but there seems to be this season where a lot of relationships are in a much tougher place than they ever have been before. It seems like there's more and more folks that I end up counseling. There seems to be more and more couples who have fought this week. You know, uh, you can know today that if you fought this week or on your way to church this morning, you're not alone. Um, you're not even alone if you're sleeping in separate rooms. You're not even alone if you're separated or considering divorce. There's a lot of folks that I know, both inside and outside of the church, who are going through these different dynamics. And if they're not going through them, have probably been there before as well. But no matter where you're, as I said, no matter where you're going in your relationship journey right now, the principle that I'm going to share with you is one that I believe can sort of help to cultivate a healthier relationship with your spouse. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verse 21 to 33, sort of the standard uh, text that we look at when we're talking about marriage, and we're going to look at one verse in particular. But before I read it, I want to just talk about the problems. Like, what are we actually trying to, to face? What is something that's maybe common in relationships today, as it always has been, that needs to be undone? Today, I want to start by talking about negative feedback loops. We all know what feedback is, right? And when we're talking about on a stage... It's when the speaker gets a little too high or the mic gets a little bit too close and as the sound goes into the mic, it loops out of the speaker, back into the mic, back into the speaker, back into the mic, back into the speaker, and it makes that sound that kills all of our brains, right? It's this loop that takes place where one thing leads to another that keeps on building until 
the chain, the loop, is broken. This very same thing takes place in our relationships, and it can take place for a number of different reasons. In my experience, there's two main ones. The first is what I'm going to call the pursuer-withdrawer loop, and the second one is the antagonizing loop. Let's start with this first one, the pursuer-withdrawer loop. Maybe you'll be familiar with this one. The pursuer-withdrawer loop is one that has been discovered by psychologists and counselors and anyone who has been married for the most part because this is what happens when you have two people in a relationship who handle conflict, tension, and problems in two very different ways. In most relationships, there's a pursuer and there's a withdrawer. Now, it's important as I get into this to recognize that neither of those are meant to be negative terms. Usually if you're a pursuer, you see the withdrawer as a negative thing, and if you're a withdrawer, you see the pursuer as a negative thing, but neither of those things are true. While certainly one behavior might drive you nuts more than the other one, these are both simply behaviors that we exhibit that lead to a relational dynamic that can have some problems. So what does this look like? Well, this looks like when one partner, when things get tough or tension comes, they decide that they need more affection or attention and they draw in towards the other one. A withdrawer, on the other hand, deals with tension and trouble in a different way. They withdraw. They say, I need my space and my independence. Now, while not all of our relationships will have this dynamic, it is very, very common. And what happens as what the pursuer chases the withdrawer and the withdrawer leaves the pursuer. More and more tension. In my marriage, I'm the pursuer and my wife is the withdrawer. Uh, if we have an argument, I'm the one who gets needy and I'm the one who goes and chases after uh, attention or affection first. My wife, on the other hand, usually needs time to, to process a conflict and to, to think on her own without me going a mile a minute of processing all my emotions verbally right in front of her. And so what happens, especially early on in our marriage, is we had been given the good and terrible advice that you should never go to bed angry. So 2 o'clock in the morning, on our first year of marriage, there I am in our one-bedroom apartment where my wife can't escape, nattering on. I'm going and going and going and going and going, and my wife is going, I just need to withdraw. There's nowhere to go. I'm trapped in this place. I just need a little space. Do we see where this could lead to a problem? As my wife needs space and needs to withdraw, I need to pursue, and she wants to get further, and I want to chase harder, and so and so things go on, while never actually meeting either one of our needs. Neither of us leaves satisfied, and we pass out and start again in the morning. That's one type of negative loop. Perhaps you've experienced it. There's a second type of loop, which I call the antagonizing loop. This is one where one partner's behavior leads to perhaps hurt or distance in a relationship, which leads to their partner or spouse responding in kind with another sort of antagonizing behavior. 
Now, I use the word antagonizing, and I'm not saying your spouse is antagonizing you. Don't go home today and be like, you're the antagonist. No, what I'm saying is one behavior, it causes another negative behavior, which causes perhaps either the same negative behavior or another one. And so on and on it goes. And this one is actually less of a loop and more of a downward spiral. I picture it like a couple coming to a hole and rather, and their goal is to fill the hole and come to common ground. But instead what happens is each one of us starts to dig. Maybe at the start, one starts to dig and the other starts scooping, but as that digging begins to get annoying, the other partner joins in as well. And slowly we begin to not create common ground. We begin to build a bigger and bigger void between us. Let me give you a real life example. This is one that I have come across many times. uh, And uh, I'm going to call our couple Gary and Jennifer. If you're Gary and Jennifer, I'm sorry. Uh, That's not you. Maybe it is. But uh, this is a real story with these people. Uh, Gary and Jennifer were having some relational problems. Uh, And they came to this point where they basically said, you know, our relationship is so rocky, we should probably go talk to someone about it. And so they come on in for some premarital counseling, and we begin to unearth the problem. And Jennifer says, I'm really frustrated because Gary's always at work. And when Gary's not at work, he needs to go out of the house and be active or go out with his guys, and he never is at home with me. Well, then Gary pipes in. Well, what's the point at being at home? Our physical life is totally non-existent, and when I'm at home, you just nag at me for things to get done. He goes on, and he takes the next dig and actually says, it's not just that, but, you know, I've got to work. We've got to pay the bills, and you know work is stressful, so shouldn't I be able to go and blow off some steam and get a little bit of me time? The more Gary is gone, the more Jennifer's emotional needs are not being met. She wants quality time with her husband. And, you know, there's those other things going on. The house is falling apart as they try to make ends meet. And she just really wants a couple things done because she just can't relax at home. And so this leads to Jennifer being in a place where she sort of shuts down physically. And she has a growing irritation that comes out at her husband. This in turn, of course, leads to Gary deciding, well, it's a lot easier and more fun to be somewhere else besides here. It's easier for me to to be at work because I know what's expected, I know what's going to go on, and it's easier to go out with my friends or play some sports because things are going to come undone and I can blow off that seam and I'm going to rather go there. The problem with this is both their patterns of behavior lead towards the opposite of what they long for. I'm actually contributing to the own own problem that I experience when this is what goes on. And then what happens is as we begin to dig the hole, not only does one problem come in, usually a few more are thrown in for good measure as well, right? In this spiral starts to go down and down. Things start to get rockier and rockier. If you're married, have you ever experienced this relational spiral? You probably have. 
And if you haven't, it's coming. Just wait. You know, it might not be the same sort of thing. There can be all sorts of factors that can contribute into one of these negative feedback loops. And even though the story I share with you is a common one, you can switch the spouses and the roles completely in that, and the same thing can continue to go on. For us, our, our cycles often continue or begun just because of some need that went unfulfilled. And often that need went unfulfilled because of the behavior of our partner or even us. Sometimes we're actually the instigator at the very start and we don't realize how we've undone what we want. And so let me just for a moment, before we get to the solution to this, just consider why. Why might these feedback loops happen? Why might this downward spiral take place? Well, the reality is simple. Two people in a marriage are both imperfect, sinful, and selfish. Two people often, almost always, in every single marriage, have the wrong set of expectations of the other one. Let me read you a quote by Dr. Stanley Hauerlust, who's a theologian and professor at Duke Divinity School. He writes this, Destructive to the marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes that marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and, health and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and if we look closely enough, we'll eventually find that one. This moral assumption overlooks a critical or a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. This is the one of the first things I undo when I do premarital counseling. You don't have a soulmate. There's not only one person who can make you happy because no one can make you happy except for God. No one's going to be perfect and be able to fulfill you because you're going to keep digging that hole on your own and there's no way that your partner can top it all up. The reality is even if we think we're marrying the right person, that person is never the perfect one. Dr. Stanley actually goes on, he says, I don't have this on the screen, but listen to this. He says, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we did marry the right person, just give it a while, they'll change. Because marriage is such an enormous thing, it means even the right person changes when they enter into it. So the primary problem then is, Learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. The picture of marriage, the relationship that we have, is one that's supposed to give us a taste of what the goodness is in our relationship as the church with God. But it's always going to be flawed. It's always going to have problems. But in it, there's this point, this purpose, this plan that God has given for us to try to enter in to show that kindness of God to one another. 
And yes, there's going to be moments in our relationships, even after we've been married a long time, where we're going to look across the dinner table and go, who are you? That's the stranger looking back. But our job, our call, is to love that someone. It's the commitment we've given. This is what scripture tells us all along. It tells us that every single person has sinful desires. We seek what we want. And when someone doesn't give it to us, we go looking in all the wrong places. So what's the solution? The solution then is what scripture has given us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's read verses 21 to 33. Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. This profound mystery that I am talking about is Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love your wife as you love yourself, and the wife must love her and respect her husband. You know, I recognize when we come to this, uh, there's a lot of language that, that feels controversial. There's a lot of imagery that we actually don't quite understand right on, on the surface. But it's sad because sometimes what happens is we come to this and we just let that all make it come undone. But really what, what happens when we listen to this is we see that there's an incredibly helpful principle which God has provided for us to undo those negative feedback loops that come into our marriage. It happens right there at the beginning, verse 21, which is sort of the, the, the umbrella over the rest of the verses. Right before verse 21, there's this depiction of what a spirit-filled person looks like. And verse 21 then gives us a bridge to say, out of being spirit-filled, out of being a person who follows God, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, as you enter into marriage, this is what you should do. Submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Submission in the context of a Christian relationship has this idea of putting someone else and their needs above our own. The word submit here actually comes from an old military term which refers to put yourself under the rank of someone else. uh, Even if you're the most senior person in the room, If someone of greater standing comes in, you submit yourself, even though you've been an authority, under them. That's what happens in the military. And so what we're told here is that when our spouse comes into the room, we put ourselves under them. We see them as greater than us. We give of ourselves anything that they would ask or need for what they want to see 
done. To submit to one another in marriage then gives us this idea of deferring to one another, to serving one another, to loving not just in a feeling sense, but in a practical, tangible, verb way, to elevate someone. If the reason that most of us experience negative feedback loops in our relationship is because we're after our own best interest, then wouldn't it make sense that the solution is going after the best interest of the other one? This is the example that, that Christ gives us, and we're going we're gonna to come to that in just a moment. But, but I, I really want us to, to get a tangible sense of, of what that can mean. To submit to one another looks different in all different stages and ages of our marriage. It looks different in different feedback loops. You know, if you're in this pursuer-withdrawer loop, this is something my wife and I have, have learned and, and gone on to understand. It can look like stopping for a moment to consider what the other person needs as the tensions begin to rise. Right? My, my natural instinct is to talk through everything and to seek attention. But that's not what my wife needs when we fight. That's not what my wife needs when we disagree on, on something that's going on. It's not what my wife needs even when it's not just between us, but there's just something else going on in the world. And so I've had to learn to stop when something is going on and say, what does my wife need right now? She needs some space. She needs some opportunity to process. In the same way, my wife has learned that sometimes in the midst of all this, she needs to reassure me because I'm emotionally needy and I need more than what she needs in those moments. And so for her, it's recognizing that there is an opportunity to come and meet me where I'm at as well. One thing I would suggest if this is something that you find yourself in is learn to have an agreement about what's going on. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you're in this place where there's tension and the pursuer wants more and the withdrawer wants less, pause and communicate your needs and make it a, an agreement of how you can bring both those things together. What this can look like in a very tangible way is saying, hey, I recognize that I need some space, but I know that you need connection. And so how about we take a one-hour break and then we come back together and do something with one another. I'm not talking about the fight. I'm talking about just enjoying one another. By doing that, we honor one another. We defer to one another's needs. The person who needs the space has an opportunity to decompress, to process what's going on. And the person who needs that attention and that discussion has an opportunity to know that as my spouse goes... There's an end to that, and we're going to come back together, and it's going to fill the needs and desires that I have as well. And so I, as the pursuer, can honor what my spouse is saying by saying, hey, I recognize that you need to withdraw. And the withdrawer can honor their spouse by saying, I know that you need connection, and I want to be fully present for you, and so we're going to do that a little bit later. And commit to one another and instill that so that you really show one another that you know, that you see them, that you love them, 
that you honor them above yourself. Now maybe that you're stuck in this more antagonizing loop where your behavior is getting after one another in some sort of way or you're pulling out some type of behavior that you know the other one wants, whether you do that intentionally or not, that there comes this point where I would encourage you to stop. And it doesn't take actually both of you to stop, it just takes one. And I want to challenge you in those situations to try to outlove the other person. I don't mean that in an underhanded way where you get bitter that you're doing more in the relationship than the other person. I mean to do this in a loving, careful, playful way. You know, most of us, the reason why we pursue going towards marriage is because we start off with a relationship that makes us feel good, where someone else has shown us value and love. Remember those days when Christmas or a birthday or Valentine's Day or something would come and you would try to get the perfect gift for the other person? Remember when you would see that other person and, and, and know they were having a tough day so you would come and try to speak as much truth and love into their life so they know their value? Do you remember living like that? Even if you had just dated for a little while before you got married? What if we actually continued to live that way? What if we continued to try to cultivate that into our marriages instead of letting the hiccups and hurts and different strains on our relationship be number one? Someone sent me a video this week, which was awesome, and it was this lady with this cup of water, and she dumped dirt into it. And, as, and she said, you know what, we, I don't want this junk in my life, and so I want to pull it out. And she, she took this, this picture, and she, she grabbed the spoon, and she started throwing out the dirt. But when it went out with the dirt, all the water. And she said, this water represents the joy of my life, or the, you can picture the joy of my relationship. If I keep just trying to spoon out all the junk, I'm going to throw out some of that joy with it. Instead, she said, and she grabs this big pitcher of water, what if I just poured more of the good stuff in? And as she poured the water in, what naturally happened is as the water plummeted and came back up, it pushed aside a lot of the dirt. The junk of our life getting removed as we build in that love. This is the picture of what we could have if we would serve and love one another out of reverence for Christ. What if my spouse doesn't meet me there? What if they're not ready? You know, that's the, the real tough reality of marriage sometimes is we're not both in tune and in sync and sometimes one person comes to that realization first and, and that can be hard and that, that there can be a lot of hurt there. I don't want to minimize that. I would encourage you that in due time, deal with that and process that with your, your spouse or process that with someone who's healthy and can help you do so in a God-honoring way. But, but along the way, what I would encourage you to do is view your relationship the Jesus way. View things the Jesus way. In Romans 5.8, we read, but God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.15, we read, He died for us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If our model in any aspect of our lives as people who follow Jesus is Jesus, we got to pursue it his way. Jesus always goes first. Even when we're his enemies, even when we are antagonistic towards him, he first showed love. He died for us so that one day we might live for him in all aspects of our lives, including the difficult times in our marriage. And all of that is so that we can give him the glory he deserves because of what he's done. This is what it means where Paul doesn't just add out of reverence for Christ onto the end of that. He says when we submit to one another, when we love one another, when we defer to one another, we actually honor God in our marriage. This is the call. Our marriage is not an allegiance first to our spouse, it's first to God. And our expression of how we love our spouse is a living out of that allegiance to him. The good news of Jesus, if it's come into our lives, should lead us to live drastically different marriages than any of what the world has going on. And there's hope in this. My experience, while it's not universal, has been that when couples commit towards this, there's often movement that goes on. As one begins to love the other, that person comes to a place where they're able to receive. And so in your relationship, whether it's good or bad right now, are you loving the other? Are you submitting to them? Are you looking after their needs first? Or are you going after your own? This is wisdom from God. So if you're in a negative feedback loop right now, or maybe one day you find yourself in one, remember to just do these four things. First, recognize what's going on. Whenever things are tough, it's helpful for us to stop and consider what may be going on. Now, not every tension in your relationship is going to be one of these feedback loops. There's going to be other things going on at different times, but it's helpful to consider, are we in one right now? And then when you're in it, recognize what needs are going unmet, not just in your own life, but in your spouse's. Ask yourself, what do they need as we proceed? Right after you do that, I'd encourage you to pray. If this is all about ultimately worshiping God and glorifying him and our marriage being a reflection of, of his love for the church, then we need to go to him for wise counsel. Fortunately, as we read in scripture, just as like we read in James, if you come to me with an ask for wisdom, I will give it to you. Right? That's the promise of God. Ask God to fulfill you. So that you're not drawing on your spouse unfairly for the fulfillment of your needs, which they can never accomplish. Ask them to guide you in how am I going to navigate this situation so we can move from this place we are out of this rut into something better. Ask him to forgive you for where you've gone wrong. Because again, 
This often comes because of the sin on both parts. Ask him to help you forgive your spouse so that you can model and embody the presence of Christ. Next, chase after serving one another. Now in this, I'm not saying that Jennifer has to go out and meet Gary at the door in her lingerie. I'm not saying that there has to be some sort of exorbitant thing that's unmet with the emotional needs that you might have, but consider what step you can take towards the fulfillment of the other and begin to build on that. The positive feedback loop where when you're both contributing is going to need to take time just like it took you time to dig the hole in the relationship. It's going to take you a little while to shovel those scoops back down into the hole so you can come back to common ground. What is a way that I can do that? And fourth, get help if you need any. I'd be amiss to ignore the fact that sometimes there's deeper issues going on. If there's abuse in the relationship, seek help. I'm not saying just love through it and be abused and and go through that. Do not hear me saying that at all. If there's deep psychological or mental issues or all sorts of traumas that have gone on, go get help. See a doctor, see a counselor, see a pastor, someone who has skills to help you process through that. God's given us that in his kindness that he's given us people who have the wisdom to help deal with what's going on. Get help. Allow God to work in your life and in your spouse's life through that. And then continue to see this carry on. Just as those negative feedback loops, again, can carry on for a long, long time. This might take a process, but my experience, again, has been that there's good fruit that comes when we carry on. Now, as we close out our time together, I want to focus on one last thing. And that thing is the the part of our relationship and dealing with our challenges that can only come from what God can do. I've given you sort of a, a programmatic piece that I would hope that as you build into your marriage can help your marriage to grow and thrive. But sometimes there's much bigger things. There's things that only God can see accomplished. And so we're going to take a couple minutes to just watch the story of some friends of mine. And they're going to share about how God actually intervened in their marriage in the most difficult of circumstances. And I hope that it encourages you as you carry on. Let's watch this video. (laughs) (laughs) Take 25. (laughs) It's it's all right. No pressure. We are Perry and Rita Evison. Uh, We were married in 1999. And um, uh, we were busy with kids. kind of right from the get-go with our marriage um, there was really no honeymoon phase at all and um, it was probably about seven years into our marriage when I noticed a, a romantic distance between us. When I had married Perry I'd come out of a bad relationship and I married him for just the head knowledge of him being supportive and stable and loving and kind and funny and dependable overall and he loved God so what couldn't work I thought that was going to be a much better love and we'd had a happy enough marriage but there was something missing it was more like a a best friendship and so I told him that I didn't have those kinds of feelings and 
So I sought counseling and we, I went on my own to counseling, didn't get anywhere with her. Then we looked for a pastor together and we did some counseling and he was very good, very helpful. Throughout the um, years of on and off counseling and discussions between us that we had, uh, eventually I heard the term, it's over. And it was heartbreaking. And um, uh, shortly after that, I met for, for a Coke with uh, a pastor of ours that we had um, at the time. And um, we talked, we prayed, uh, he offered some advice. Um, one of those pieces of advice was to not uh, add any stressful situations to the already stressful situation. When we left uh, that time together, he said, uh, call me, we'll, I'll buy lunch when we can celebrate uh, the restoration of your, your marriage. Uh, that same evening, um, some family had come from out of town and we were going to a, a Christian concert in town. Um, yeah, we carried on, we went to the concert. Um, it was pretty difficult to go to. It was awkward, I was feeling pretty down. One of the artists that was performing was Mandisa. Um, she's got a song called Overcomer, and I'm not a huge fan of that song, I wasn't, but it hit me, the words hit me differently that night. And um, at one point during the song, um, I had noticed earlier that she hadn't been wearing her wedding ring for a few weeks. And so during the song, um, I reached over and I grabbed her hand. I took my ring off and put it on her ring finger and leaned over to her and said, I'm an overcomer. And, um, and then I held her other hand so she could not take the ring off. I was so mad. Like, I think I was mad because I felt bad. He loved me so much and I didn't want him to love me like that. I had already decided he deserved better than me. He deserved a romantic relationship that I wasn't giving him and I wanted to just leave him. He could move on and it felt like punishment to have him love me like that after what I had just done. And so I was just sitting there angry and two songs later a new performer had come up and he was introducing a song he had written about um, people's experiences with forgiveness and that just hit me. I realized that was me. That too was my story. I had lived out of God's will for a couple of years before we got married and I had so much guilt. Those were choices I'd made knowing better. And so when I listened to that song, I just immediately had to pray and ask for forgiveness. And I did. And everything changed for me. My whole body felt different. I felt like my heart changed. Like all of a sudden I realized this person sitting next to me was the best person for me. I loved him and I loved him differently. I suddenly felt romantic towards him. I leaned over as soon as the song was over and I yelled in his ear, of course at a concert, can we go outside and talk? So we left and I said, this is what happened. I told him about the song, about the change in my heart, about praying and the romance that I was feeling. And I, I think he believed me. It was weird. But from that day, 
about 10 years ago now, it's never changed. It changed in that moment, despite what I wanted. Because I don't think I actually wanted that. Yeah, in that moment uh, when she said we need to go outside and talk, I thought I was going to get smacked for what I had just done. <laughs> but um, I was shocked, I was surprised, I was so happy and uh, just so thankful for the, the change that God had just done and really in both of us in that couple of different songs. And the, uh, the morning after that concert, I was uh, pretty excited that I was able to call that pastor back and make that lunch appointment for our restored marriage. <laughs> now that the kids are gone, we can have a honeymoon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you promised me in New York. Yeah, maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one of the great things about being a people of faith is that we are connected with a God who loves us and who can overcome incredibly difficult circumstances in our life and our marriages. He has the power to do that. And, and so over the next little bit of time, I, I, we're going to uh, have a few folks uh, over here in this corner, over here in this corner to, to come alongside and pray with you if you'd like someone to pray for you. You want to pray about your marriage or another relational challenge that's going on or something that this is, has brought out within you, uh, we invite you to do that. We believe that the Lord can, can heal and restore relationships. We believe that God cares about what's going on, that God can move uh, even in relationships that are long gone and, and deal with some of what's gone on there. And so uh, in a minute, our, our prayers are going to come, and together we're going to sing a song that just magnifies who God is and what he can accomplish. Uh, so as we, we prepare our hearts for that, let me just pray for us, and then let's stand together and worship. And if you'd like prayer, feel free to head to one of the corners. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for who you are and your love for us. God, I thank you that you just give us practical wisdom for our life and your word and God, I know it doesn't make it easy, and sometimes, Lord, it, it can feel like it just gives us guilt or shame, and Lord God, we know that that's not what you want for us, but Lord God, you want us to experience the freedom that comes from the wisdom you have, and so I pray that for everyone here today uh, who's married, that we would be able to, to cling to that, to, to grab hold of that wisdom and enjoy the blessing that it brings. God, for everybody here who is is grieving relational challenge or relationships past or whatever else it could be, the divorce of someone close to us or, or whatever it is, Lord God, I just pray that they would receive from you your love, your care. Lord God, uh, would we be so bold to ask for prayer from one another. God, for those who aren't married, Lord God, I, I pray that this would be a reminder of something to look forward to, the wisdom to be had, the, the knowledge of, of a reason why we should pursue uh, love with someone who also loves you, God, because what that brings together and what that can accomplish, God, we, we just hope that that seeps into our hearts and minds. And so, Lord God, we, we thank you for all of that, but we also thank you that you showed your love for us long before we've ever showed love to you, that you died on the cross, that you rose again so that if we would have faith that you could restore the whole of our lives. And God, now we just want to live out what that means for us. Lord Jesus, as we sing and as we pray over these next few moments, we pray that you would be magnified, that we would really just see you more clearly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.